it's always a privilege to preach, and uh, it's always a privilege to preach uh, where there are quite a number of friends present, and it's always a privilege to preach in English. Yeah. So, <laughs> I haven't done this for a long time. It's great. Um, so, thank you, Rob. Um, it's great to be here. It really is. And we've been following your progress over the last four or five years with real joy. And um, it's lovely to see what you're doing. I know that you've got this meeting tonight when you're supposed to be praying for us. We'd actually quite like to pray for you. But anyway, maybe it'll just be one-sided. We'll see. Um, but anyway, thank you so much for your welcome um, in words and in love. So we've got some preaching to do in English. Yay! Uh, anyway, before that, um, so Jill and I have been in Lyon for nearly three years, uh, involved in church planting. It's a beautiful city, big city, and uh, church planting anywhere is an adventure, and uh, that means it's difficult and wonderful all at the same time, all the time. Uh, and so it's joy, it's disappointment, it's frustration, it's amazing, it's extraordinary, it's terrible, it's frightful, it goes like that. But God is always faithful. He never changes. Uh, and his purpose is to build his church in all the nations and in all the tribes of all the earth. And we're just part of that wonderful thing. And it's a real privilege. Uh, and we, we love having relationships with uh, others across different nations. Uh, and obviously we're developing something of a relationship with you guys, uh, which is great for us. I hope it's great for you. Um, and uh, in a month or so, Rob and Alison, and I think it's Paul and Helen, are coming to visit us, to bless us, to pray for us, and to teach us, and so on. And we're very keen to learn whatever we can about prophetic foundations in the local church, uh, which I think you're doing well on. And uh, more Lord for us, please. So that will be in April. I have just swapped. She doesn't know it, but I've now got the English Bible. Helen, you've got my French one, so sorry about that. And here we go. Um, I normally preach uh, for about half an hour, and I normally take a small passage of the Bible and talk about it. Twelve verses, for example. Today, uh, I'm going to be looking at 48 chapters, <laughs> <laughs> which is 1,273 verses. So I calculated that's going to be 106 sermons of half an hour. You're going to be here for 53 hours. That's Tuesday afternoon. <laughs> if you are a young man sitting on the windowsill on this, the second floor and you happen to fall out during the preaching, don't worry, the elders of the church will rescue you. <laughs> Your dinner will burn in the oven, but God loves you. <laughs> the message of Ezekiel is not that well known. And I want to give you an overview of 48 chapters of Ezekiel and then focus a little bit on some of the chapters near the end of that amazing book. Chapters 1 to 24 of Ezekiel, and now he wrote this about 600 years before Jesus. That's not true. Jesus has been from the beginning. <laughs> he wrote this 600 years before Jesus was born on earth. And the first 24 chapters, he speaks about judgment on God's people for their spiritual immorality, the coming judgment. And the lowest point of the book, and in my mind, one of the lowest points of the entire Bible, 
is Ezekiel chapter 10, when the glory of God leaves the temple. It's a terrible moment in the Bible. Ezekiel explains that every single individual is responsible for his own actions and thus his own sin. All were accountable before God. And God had called Ezekiel to be what he described as a watchman. So his job was to challenge and warn the people to depart from their sinful ways and from their stubbornness. Then we get into chapters 25 to 32, the middle section of his great prophecy. And here uh, we've now got a picture of the people of God, the people of Judah, Israel, in captivity, in exile. And God is speaking through the prophet to other nations surrounding. And for their idolatry and their cruelty, God's judgment is promised on them. So it's a tough book. These nations were all saying that God was too weak to come to the defense of his people who'd been defeated. God didn't like that and would not allow the other nations to mock his holy name. And in these chapters, the middle section is chapter 28, we read about the fall of Satan, which is good news. Then you come to what for us must be the more exciting part of the book, chapters uh, 33 to the end, 48. And here you could summarize it as being the restoration of the people of God. God promises many things to this people. Promises them the Holy Spirit. Well, you can't get better than that. He promises them a new covenant. A covenant that would not be written, Ezekiel says, on tablets of stone, but on the heart or in the heart. And I listen really carefully to what Jill shared about the dog leads and the follow up about that. And I think it's really important that we hear it because I think that the, the dog lead can represent, I must do something. I am pulled. I'm yanked in a certain direction. It's a picture in my mind of the law. You have to do it. Stop. Come. Go. And what Ezekiel says is instead of having, I'm changing the analogy, instead of having a lead on the outside, you have a lead on the inside. In other words, you have a lead in your heart. And I prefer not lead, but I like to add two more letters to that and make it leader. So instead of a lead exterior, you have a leader on the inside, and his name is the Holy Spirit. That's the new covenant promised here for the people of God. So they get a new covenant. They also get new life. You have the amazing picture, which I'll refer to again in a moment, of the valley of dry bones, Coming to life. Why? Because the Holy Spirit comes. They get the promise. New life, new covenant, and thirdly, they get a promise of a new temple. This temple will be rebuilt. And then you get to the best point in the book. It's chapter 43. When the glory of God, that's the presence of God, comes back to the temple after years of absence. Chapter 10, the glory leaves. Chapter 43, the glory returns. God's glory to return upon his people. And after that, God will pour out his blessings 
on them, not because they deserved the blessings, but because God was faithful to God's own covenant. And finally, a river of life would flow out of the temple. Chapter 47, and then you're virtually at the end of the book. Okay. Jubilee Church Solihull didn't really exist five years ago. It was as if, I'm trying to look at this book for you through prophetic eyes. It was as if you were sort of in exile, chapters 25 to 32, and God called you, and you is very plural there. I don't just mean Becky and Sam and their parents. I mean, God called you out of exile, to build afresh in this town a temple for his glory. That's your calling. And the New Testament is very happy indeed to link the church with the temple. We just don't have a problem with that. That's what it means for us. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 2 says, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone of the temple, in whom the whole building being fitted together is growing into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together into a dwelling of God in the spirit. That's what God is doing amongst you. Ezekiel saw a time of restoration. So for you as a local church, what does that mean? What restoration sounds a very good word, it's a very exciting word, but what does it mean for you in practice? So you've taken and spent five years so far in laying foundations for the local church, the new temple to be built in this city. Building, I believe, carefully, and building, I believe, soundly. Restoring what God wants to his church. You have, according to Rob's vision talk that I listened to online a few weeks ago, he called it 2020 vision. I imagine it's a sort of pun, is it? Five years' time, four years' time, and right. Um, so according to that, you've got a very clear vision. I listened to that. I hope you have. If you weren't here that day, I thoroughly encourage you to. It's Great to hear. And faith building. You've got clear vision. You're looking to put into this church top priorities. We call them values. Godly values. You're looking for this church to have at the beginning and always apostolic and prophetic ministry. You, you, you are, it seems to me, enjoying unity. There is something you can feel it. You're restoring it. There's love and joy and peace. Certainly a lot of joy this morning, and that's why I'm struggling preaching, because I shouted too much, because he told me to. <laughs> and you've got a desire for the presence of God. Jill and I have just been reading A.W. Tozer's book, Pursuit of God. I'll tell you, I wonder whether we really do. Pursue. It's in your guts to pursue God. It's restoration. 
And in fact, for us in France, perhaps we can share a bit more tonight, but one of the huge challenges for us, and to be honest, any church in France, is restoration of what God really wants in the local church. Why? Because there are so few, if any, really good models to say, see, that's how we want to do it. It's that church down the road or that church in that city. That's how we want to do it. And if there aren't any models, you can't do that. And in Britain, God is doing a wonderful thing, and you do have some models, and you're becoming a model. In laying foundations for restoration here in Solihull, God's given you a number of prophetic encouragements along the way. I know that to be true. But he gave Ezekiel prophetic encouragements along the way. In fact, the whole book's a prophecy. But there are specific things that must have hugely encouraged the prophet Ezekiel as God showed him things in his spirit. The coming of the Holy Spirit. God said, I will put my spirit in you. There was the promise of abundant provision coming up in a moment. I will call for the grain and multiply it. I think you can take these promises too. The promise of the Spirit, the promise of provision, the promise of, well, a powerful army. Son of man, can these bones live? Ezekiel saw them. Great reply. Well, you know, Lord, why ask me? So prophesy to these bones. And the bones came together. Sinew and flesh. And finally, they stood up a mighty army. You are not a mighty army. You're probably not like that either in the picture with the skeletons holding the swords. You're just a small, insignificant bunch of nobodies. However, with the wind of the Spirit and the word of the Lord, you do become a mighty army. You need both. And what I love about Ezekiel 37 and and this valley of dry bones, is it's not just a big prayer. Come, Holy Spirit! And the wind comes and everything's changed. But there's the word of the Lord. And then speak to the bones. And say to the bones. So for you and for us, in Britain and in France, we need the Holy Spirit and we need the word of the Lord. The word And the spirit together, we have a vision as a local church, which is absolutely based on geography. Trust it's from God. I think it is. In Lyon, there are two great rivers um, which join and become one and flow off to the sea. The Saone and the, the, uh, the Rhone. For us, we felt God speaking to us, describing them as a river of the spirit and a river of the word, and they must come together. And where they come together, there is power, well, more power. And then together they go to the sea. And that encapsulates our vision as a church. Spirit, word, together for the city, and then to the nations of the world. And you have the promise of growth 
a new life. Your vision, and I've heard it, is to be an apostolic resource center. I call that an ARC, A-R-C. Apostolic resource center, apostolic ministry, always looks in which direction? Out. Always. You have a vision, therefore, of building, but not just building. You have a vision of building and then going, sending, giving, praying. Uh, my friend Adrian Horner, whom you know, I believe, and I hope it's him, prophesied, you will be a distribution center, not a warehouse. On the train yesterday coming from Derby to Birmingham, I saw this massive distribution center. I don't know who it was for. But that's what you're going to be. It's not a warehouse where you store things forever. Build, send. Build, give. Build, go. So I'm seeing what has been happening here over five years, trying through the eyes of Ezekiel, laying the foundations of a new temple. Prophetic encouragements along the way. Arriving at chapter 43, the Holy Spirit amongst you, and the Holy Spirit is amongst you. I hear stories, Rob tells me from time to time, of people getting healed and people finding Jesus. It's wonderful. The Holy Spirit is with you. Jesus is Emmanuel. I am with you. You're you're chapter 43. You see, one of your key values is an emphasis on the supernatural work of the Holy Spirit. You've got a a desire for restoration, rebuilding the temple, prophetic encouragements, the presence of God is among you, and now what next? So I keep turning the pages of Ezekiel, and I arrive at the chapter which I do want to focus on for a few minutes, well known to many or at least the first part of this chapter is well known to many, and it's chapter 47. I'm going to read uh, the first 10, 12 verses, Ezekiel 47, and then make some comments about it. I don't know these days whether you read your Bibles on your smartphones, your tablets, the back of your hand, an envelope or something else, but if I see you reading it on a smartphone and it looks like you're using Facebook, I'll stare at you. Okay, you can always tell. If they're doing this, they're reading. If they're doing... It's Facebook. Uh, Ezekiel 47. Then he brought me back to the door of the house, and behold, water was flowing from under the threshold of the house toward the east. For the house faced east, and the water was flowing down from under, from the right side of the house, from south of the altar. He brought me out by way of the north gate and led me around on the outside to the outer gate by way of the gate that faces east. And behold, water was trickling from the south side. When the man went out toward the east with a line in his hand, he measured a thousand cubits. And he led me through the water, water reaching the ankles. Again, he measured a thousand and led me through the water, water reaching the knees. Again, he measured a thousand and led me through the water, water reaching the loins. Again, he measured a thousand and it was a river that I could not ford. For the water had risen, enough water to swim in, a river that could not be forded. 
He said to me, Son of man, have you seen this? Then he brought me back to the bank of the river. Now when I had returned, behold, on the bank of the river, there were very many trees on the one side and on the other. Then he said to me, These waters go out toward the eastern region and go down towards the Arabah. Then they go toward the sea, being made to flow into the sea, and the waters of the sea become fresh. And it will come about that every living creature which swarms in every place where the river goes will live, and there will be very many fish. For these waters go there, and the others become fresh, so everything will live where the river goes. And it will come about that fishermen will stand beside it from En Gedith to En Eglaim. There will be a place for the spreading of nets. Their fish will be according to their kinds, like the fish of the great sea, very many. But its swamps and marshes will not become fresh. They will be left for salt. By the river on its bank, on one side and on the other, will grow all kinds of trees for food. Their leaves will not wither, and their fruit will not fail. They will bear every month because their water flows from the sanctuary and their fruit will be for food and their leaves for healing. Twenty years ago, in the days of the New Frontiers Stonely Bible Week, we experienced uh, an extraordinary outpouring of the Holy Spirit that some named the Toronto outpouring or blessing. I loved the song, there's a river flowing from the throne, not a gentle stream but powerful flow. I can't remember the rest of the words. I loved the song. It seemed that the main point of the song was to cause us to see how important it was to get in this river flowing from the throne. We needed to get in it or as South African evangelist Rodney Howard Brown used to say, get under the spout where the glory comes out. Yes, it's a great song. And yet, I think if you examine Ezekiel 47 carefully, you'll see that in fact the river has a far, far greater purpose than simply getting in it. Question one. I've got a number of questions on the screen. Question one. What is the river? And that's the easy question. River is the presence of God. Question two. Where does the river start? Easy. The river starts in the temple of God. Remember, that's the church. Verse 8. Question 3. Oh, actually, question 2a. <laughs> How strange. Where's the river going? Very important question. It's going from the temple to, ultimately, the Dead Sea. Question three, why? Answer, verse eight and verse nine. Why? Well, to bring life 
wherever it goes, and finally to bring life even to the Dead Sea, the lowest point on the planet where nothing lives at all. Birmingham. <laughs> oh, I should have said Coventry. Question four. What does it mean for you? You read the Bible, it's not enough just to know questions one, two, and three. You have to go for application. What does it mean for you? The reason that God has blessed you with his presence, his gifts, his spirit, is not just to fill the temple. That's not enough. There is a reason, and the reason is for the river to flow out to the desert, and that is incredibly important. Question five. Is Solihull a spiritual desert? That's an easy one. Yes, sadly. Not completely, but yes. Question six. Is Birmingham a spiritual desert? Is the UK a spiritual desert? Yes. Is Western Europe a spiritual desert? Yes. Is most of the rest of the world a spiritual desert? Yes. Question seven. So what does it mean for us? For Jubilee Church Solihull, answer, it really is time to get in the river. But not just get in the river. But let the river take me, let the river take you to the desert. Does your neighbor live in spiritual desert? Does your work colleague live in the spiritual desert? Do the people on, etc. Your neighbor, your colleague, your unbelieving members of family, the poor. It's time to get in the river and let the river flow over you and move you. Jill and I would say that um, in the years that we have been living in France, which is 708 now, our greatest joy has been, very simple, telling people about Jesus. I'm supposed to have a pastoral ministry. I don't like it if people call me pastor, so I call them sheep if they do that. So I try to avoid that one. Don't really go with language like that. However, even if I did have a pastoral ministry, what is my greatest joy? Helping someone through a problem? No. Telling people about Jesus. And we pray, and you can pray for us tonight, we pray that there will be massive breakthrough. Because to be honest, as yet we've not seen that. But that doesn't take away the greatest joy that we have on a day-to-day or week-to-week basis, the privilege of talking to someone he has never, ever met a Christian before. And when you start saying, you see, for me, it's a living personal relationship with Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who once was dead but now alive, they are amazed. It's a real joy. And I think that's getting in the river. Whatever your gift or ministry, 
Whatever your role in the church, whether you're in pastoral ministry or administrative ministry or practical ministry, surely the greatest joy of all must be to share the good news of Jesus who died to save us forever. So, I listened to Rob's talk. It's great. Why do you have such an emphasis on restoration? So that we can have a better, stronger, more biblical church? Yeah. It's much more than that. You want to restore church? Why? So that the world can see the wisdom of God. That's the reason. Ephesians 3.10, so that now, through the church, God will display his infinite wisdom to the powers and the dominations. That's the reason we want God to do something in Solihull amongst us, you as a local church. Why should you and why do you have such an emphasis on love and unity? Because it's nice. Peace, harmony in the church is great. Of course it is. But Jesus' purpose goes way beyond that. Love one another as I have commanded you. Then all will know that you are my disciples. So he's always got an objective. Jesus, a reason. Jesus prayed, I ask, Father, that all may be one unity. It's so important. Without unity, it doesn't work. But why unity is the question beyond or underneath. And I'm asking it, answer, Jesus answers it, that the world may believe that you have sent me. Why do you have such an emphasis on the supernatural? Because you want more prophecies and healings in the church. Yes. Yes. Yes, of course. But even more and much more and far more for the world to see and encounter the power of God. Jesus promised, and it is absolutely in the context of mission, and these signs will accompany those who believe. They will speak in new tongues. They will lay their hands on the sick who will recover, etc., etc. Context, mission. Why supernatural? Mission. Why do you have such an emphasis on the family? You're even going to do a parenting course. Do you know, it's interesting. I wrote down in Biro yesterday, mention parenting course. I didn't know you were going to do one. Why are you going to do it? Because good parenting is good. It helps us avoid problems with little children and bigger children. Yeah. Because it's just easier that way. All of that is fine. But there's a much stronger reason. You need to do a parenting course, ultimately, not so that you have better families in the church and those who go to your parents and toddler groups have better families, but so that Jesus be known. So that your parents and your families are prophetic units 
in the community. Wow, but that's the way it happens when God is central to a family. Why? Because of mission. And why such an emphasis on encouragement? Oh, because we feel good when we're encouraged. It's positive. Yes, of course, but it's to give away to other people. It's to get in the river with it and give it away. I want you to imagine you are a fishing net. You've got holes in it. So you're like, um, you're like a person in the church who's just been a bit beaten up recently by different circumstances at home, at work or wherever. You need a bit of love, care and attention, pastoral ministry. But why? You're a fishing net. The reason you need to be just sewn up a little bit is so that you get thrown in the sea to catch fish. That is the reason we do pastoral ministry. Why do you have, this is the last why, such an emphasis on theology? predestination, being a holy nation, being a loved people, being a royal priesthood. Because it's in the Bible. Yeah, but why do we want to emphasize that? Well, Peter tells us it's so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So preach and teach theology. Why? So that we can proclaim him, not so that we can have better minds and more notes. It's all about mission. Conclusion for you. God loves you and he's very proud of you. He loves the way you're seeking to follow him. He loves your openness to the spirit. He loves your commitment to his word and he's causing his river to flow. Where is it flowing from? Out of the church. To the world, the desert, the needy, the lost, the helpless. And there's a miracle here. You see, when the water comes out of the temple, under the door, as it were, it's a trickle. So how is it that a little bit into the desert, you can't even wade in it? It sweeps you away. That's not possible. It's a miracle. There's no tributary feeding the river so it just gets bigger and bigger and bigger and deeper and deeper and deeper. No, it's just a trickle. But it becomes a raging torrent. I believe the application is the further we go with the river, with the, with the mission of the Father, the more the river will become deep for us. In the church, it's a trickle. In the world, it will be a torrent. Some think that certain Christians who go to foreign nations are missionaries and have a special calling. That's a load of rubbish. I don't know about you because I don't know you all. And maybe some people here have not met Jesus yet. Maybe you will this morning. If you're already a Christian... You are a missionary in Jesus' name. It will never change, even if you go to Peru. You are a little Christ. And you have a decision to make. What am I going to do 
for the rest of my life? How am I going to use my life for the rest of my days? Well, as we used to sing a long, long, long time ago, I want to serve the purpose of God in my generation. And according to this book of Ezekiel, the purpose of God is ultimately a river that goes to the Dead Sea. The reason God fills you with the Spirit is so that he can flow out of you. It's not just for you. When the Holy Spirit comes on you, you will be filled with power. And you will be my witnesses in Judea, in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. That's the reason. Now, I asked Rob's permission to do this a few weeks ago. He's probably forgotten, but I'm going to um, risk it. I would, if you're a member of the leadership team here, and it may be one or two aren't even here this morning, but never mind, I'd like you to stand, please. Do you have a leadership team? (laughs) You see... That would be horrific if I then found that Rob was the pastor and I'd have to change the sermon. Right. Okay, we've got a few members of your leadership team. Let's imagine the others are here. I want to speak to you in particular and tell you that Jesus is the ultimate pastor shepherd. He is the one who spoke about the priority of pastoral ministry. You see, the good shepherd leads the sheep. That's what you're to do. But where do you lead them? You lead them from one place to another place. You start in the sheepfold, according to John chapter 10, and you don't leave them there. You take them out of the sheepfold into the fields. The fields, effectively, are the territory of the devil. That's where the lion, the wolf, and the bear live. But the ultimate pastor shepherd takes the sheep and calls them out of the sheepfold. Come follow me. They do because they recognize the voice and he takes them out. Now, that's one picture. We've been talking about the river. We'll bring them together for you. What is God saying to you? Well, lead the sheep out of the sheepfold. Get in the river. And call everyone to get in the river with you. God says to you, get them in the river. It's not a river just of great meetings and charismatic worship. As much as we love it and we want that tomorrow and on Thursday, was it Friday? Friday and Sunday. Of course we want it. It's... Getting them in the river, moving them towards the Dead Sea. This is a dead place. And with you, if you are leaders who are going to do that, you will find there is a people who move towards the Dead Sea. Neighbours, friends, etc. Thank you very much. You can sit down. I'd like to pray for church. And then I would like to us to sing something together because I really want us to focus on Jesus Christ. I have no idea what the time is. Oh, right. Let's pray. Lord, your word is unchanging, and we are asking you, the Holy Spirit, to take your word, bury it deep in our hearts, and water it so that there is much fruit.
I pray, Lord, for Jubilee Church Solihull, that each person and all together would know the river that flows from the throne. Even if it, at the beginning it's only a trickle. And I pray that they would come out of the sheepfold, out of the temple, into the fields, into the desert. In Jesus' name. I pray that in these next weeks and months, there would be an awful lot of talking about Jesus. There'd be so much praying for people to encounter Jesus. Jesus, it's all about you. You've called us into your church in order to send us into the world. And we pray that you do that. I pray you take this very simple word and cause it to be fruitful here for your glory.